From the city of brotherly love and the great state of Ohio, this is Deadline. I'm Michael Sperger. And I'm J.C. Wilson. We wish a very happy new year to all of those who are keeping current on their podcast listening. And for those who aren't, a pleasant Arbor Day, Flag Day, and Labor Day as well. Sir, this is the one-year anniversary of the start of Deadline. Oh, the paper anniversary. I think you received my anniversary gift of papers from your sheriff at dawn this morning. 18 counts of fraud and negligence. One for each of these episodes, of course. Of course. And since we're celebrating this anniversary, I want to ask, where are you these days? Oh, see, that's complicated. Because when I first met Scott, he was in a bad place. And I'm not talking about cell block D. His wife had just filed for divorce, and I was like, damn, homie, she dumped you while you were locked up? And he was like, yeah, you know, I thought I was going to be with her forever, but now I'm all alone. And I was like, damn, homie, you know what? You got to chin up, because you'll find a new partner. You know what? I'm Luis. And he says, you know what? I'm Scotty, and we're going to be best friends. Uh, I meant, where are you literally speaking? Oh, I'm in Pennsylvania. You knew that. It's right there in the beginning. Our guest today would need a little bit more info than that to apply his trade. And on this episode, we are joined by Marcellus Cad. He's the father of two, who has taken his hobby of geocaching and turned it into a fascinating blog that follows his travels across various states in the search of county courthouses and their hidden caches. Welcome to the program, Marcellus. Oh, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So let's start small. What is geocaching? Well, geocaching is literally a GPS-assisted treasure hunt. People hide things. They put put their coordinates where they hid them into a database, and people go out and find them. Sometimes they are really, you know, really easy to find. Like, you know, I mean, literally, you know, go up on the sidewalk and, you know, find a, you know, little thingy hanging from something or a tree or something like that. Sometimes they are incredibly fiendishly hidden. Sometimes they're really close by. Sometimes they require miles and miles of hiking or even special equipment like climbing gear or boats. Um, But there are crazy people like me who go out and find these things. That is what we do. Geocaching is life for me. (laughs) So, I mean, how were you introduced to this sport of yours? It started in May 2000. Okay. I first heard about it in 2001. And literally, when I first read about this thing that people were doing with these brand new GPS units that everybody was, you know, were digging on, first thought in my head was literally, why the hell would I want to go out to the middle of nowhere to find boxes? And 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 yet you did, right? Actually, about two and a half years ago, somebody mentioned something about it to me, and, and I decided to give it a shot, and it's a lot easier now. I mean, back then, you had to like you know buy like a $600, $700 GPS unit and then travel out to the middle, like the literal middle of nowhere, because back in those days, they were like hiding them on mountaintops and in really remote places. Um, in this case, I just uh, downloaded an app to my phone found out there was one about, I don't know, four blocks from my house, and I got it, and then I got another one, and another one, and another one, and then one day I looked up and realized, man, I've gotten one of these every day for 100 days in a row. I think I'm in. Wow. So 
it sounds like that was a pretty low barrier to entry there. I mean, just like literally an app on your phone and it says, hey, go over here on the corner of, you know, first and main and there's a pill bottle in under a mailbox, like that kind of thing? Kind of, yeah. Um, except here's the thing. Those are the easy ones. Um, sometimes they are really crazily cleverly hidden. The one that I think of when I think of the most difficult one I've ever found, a guy hid a small tube about, oh, about as long as the two knuckle, about as long as your uh, little finger. He hid it inside a rock, a hole in a rock, and that rock was part of the facade of a building. And how do you know that that's where you're supposed to go? Is there some kind of clue to that in the description? Or if you're lucky, there's a clue. <laughs> oh, there's there's no guarantee. Sometimes people put hints, you know. Sometimes they're just like, you know what? There's a thing here and go look for it. So you mentioned that you had a streak of like 100 days. Oh, no. When I looked up, I had a streak of 100 days. Um, now I am just over 925. 925 straight days of finding one of these little widgets. Yes. That's like brushing your teeth, right? Like at this point, it's it's a habit. What was it that hooked? Like what was it that really got you into it? It's like this. You ever see Harry Potter or read Harry Potter? Sure. And you know how basically you've got this entire magical world that is right, you know, parallel, but just below the surface of the mundane world that everybody else operates in. Okay. For me, it's kind of like that. It's being part of this secret that nobody else knows about, but me and a few other people who do this. Not only that, but there is something incredibly fascinating to me about the hunt itself. Basically, I'm pitting my eyes and my Mark I brain against the environment. You're out there and you're poking around and you're, you're searching for these things. And, you know, not a lot of other folks are really necessarily involved with this. Like, do you know how many people there are that kind of get into this kind of thing? Um, not specifically. I mean, I could probably name about 20, about 30 people in this area who do it. And I know there are a lot more than that. There are hundreds of thousands of people across the country who do this. And it's a worldwide thing. So I couldn't even begin to guess how many people outside of the United States do it. Are you placing items yourself or are you mostly focused on finding them? I do a lot more finding, but I do some placing. I do have a couple of uh, caches that are you know, somewhat popular as, you know, as caches go, my favorite one of mine, it's a 3D printed nested maze. Basically, it's a little box. And you to open the end, you basically have to turn it and slide it because on the interior, there's a maze. And then once you get through that, there's another one inside that. And then there's another one inside that. <laughs> So at what point do you become that thing which you which you hate? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I passed that about, I don't know, a year ago. <laughs> because don't get me wrong, there are some days where I think to myself, the last thing I want to do is go out and get a cash right now. It's raining, it's 40 degrees out, and it's like 11 at night. But I haven't gotten one today. <laughs> And you've got that streak to maintain, so... I know. 
Exactly. The other thing is, I'm lucky. Texas, where I am, is a very cash-rich state. It has the second most caches of any state in the union. Travis County and William, yeah, Travis County has about twenty five hundred of them. Um, Williamson County has a little more than that. Um, San Antonio has like four thousand. Um, Harris County has, you know, that's Houston for those of you who don't know, um, has something like 6,000, um, DFW has like 8,000. So I live in a very cash rich environment. I would not be able to pull something like that if I lived in say Mississippi. One of the things that I've done is I, I've been keeping up with the the blog that you keep, and I have passed that on to a number of people. And Michael's one of the people that I sent it to, you know, shortly after uh, you shared that with me. Uh, it's called geo, it's called geocaching while black. And can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh yeah, I was reading a forum post, and somebody had asked, "Hey, how many of you guys have ever had you know trouble with law enforcement or running to cops or anything like that?" And the answers were, you know, usually along the lines of, you know, oh, I've been stopped by cops once in four years, or I've never been stopped by cops in five years and stuff like that. And I thought to myself, I've been doing this six months and I've been stopped by cops seven times. And that's not even counting security guards. You know, there, there are not a lot of black cashers in what, two and a half years I have come into contact in one way or another with four and I've heard of one other. And no and some of these cashers that I some of these black cashers are just people I've run into on online forums. So I've never actually met them in real life. I just know, hey, there's someone who's typing on a computer behind here saying that, you know, they're geocachers and they are also black. For those of you who can't, you know, see me, I am in fact black. That's that's also fair. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> as as yeah. you and I have met and spent time together. Yeah, I, I guess that's uh, not fair for the rest of our audience. But yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Exactly. So I started, you know, I thought it would be a good idea to start writing this thing. And a buddy of mine, you know, I was talking to about it. He was, you know, saying, yeah, man, you know, black anything can be a can be a big deal. And I didn't want to like, you know, push that very much because, you know, I am hardly the most militant person on the planet about race, but I literally looked back at him and I'm like, you know, what am I supposed to call this? What geocaching while black and ding. (laughs) (laughs) That was the winner. A lot of of market research there. Yeah, man. Do you know how much I had to like pay those advertising firms to like do that research for me? One of the things that I find fascinating about reading the blog is it's it, back in in the beginning of all of this. You're you're going from county courthouse to county courthouse, right? The courthouse thing actually started as a completely separate thing because many, many, many moons ago, I thought to myself, "Man, it would be really interesting to go to every courthouse in the state of Texas." I, but I put that aside because you know that would be crazy. Why would I ever do that? And then all of a sudden, I found I was going to be going to like all these counties. And I thought, well, you know what? If I'm going to be going to all these counties, I might as well go see the courthouse. I'll be there. So I would roll into town, go to the courthouse, photograph it. It's all nice and pretty. Well, okay, some of them are nice and pretty. Some of them are terrible. I'd photograph them, and then I'd go find a cache, and then I'd go to the next county. There are a lot of courthouses that have saved me a lot of work 
and a lot of travel because, you know, somewhere like, you know, um, Gale in Borden County, it's right there. I literally spent six minutes at the courthouse because, hey, courthouse, that's awesome. Where's the cash? It's over there on that thing. Okay, let me start looking. Wait a minute. What's this giant box at the foot of this thing? Bing. Okay, let's go. You know, sometimes, you know, in other places like, you know, Washington County, Mississippi, (laughs) I'm completely and utterly ambivalent about the state of Mississippi. And they were nice enough to put one right there so I could just go photograph, find and go and get the heck out. JC, before we go on, I I just want to take note here of the fact that we've heard that we are in the presence of a fellow obsessive. Well, I have a great many obsessions. The fact that the geocaching complemented a choice that you had already made to go find and catalog county courthouses. Oh, why, thank you. Yes. I don't think everybody would consider my obsession to be entirely healthy. In this day and age, there's always a question when somebody is um, casing uh, county courthouses to what end, I guess. But we'll assume your motives are pure. Um, nine, also, well, we're recording. True. Okay. You know, for plausible deniability, yes, they're totally fair. The biggest thing I have about looking around county courthouses more than anything is the fact that I've become incredibly judgmental about them. And so now I'm more likely to, you know, attack them verbally for how stupid they look. But, and that is something that does come across in the, in the blog is you've become quite the architectural aficionado when it comes to, uh, to county courthouses, no? I would love to find like two or three books about county courthouse architecture specifically. But it turns out there's really no such tome in existence. You know, there are other people who are obsessed with courthouses who have gone around and done photography. And I've looked at some of the stuff and they're way better photographers than me. But little by little, I have just gotten so judgmental about these things. There is nothing I love more than a beautiful courthouse and there is nothing I loathe more than a terrible courthouse. Well, I would have to think that in any given room at this point, you are an authority on the topic. How many people do you know that have been to all of the uh, county courthouses in Texas? I mean, I have some distant relatives who've had their scraps with the legal system and could make a run at that. But I know a great many people who have been to every county just like I have. I do not know one person who has been to every courthouse. How do you involve your kids in this hobby? Early on, it was just, you know, really simple. Because when it really comes down to it, when they're with me, I'm the one driving. (laughs) (laughs) So true. (laughs) Hey, ladies, um, we're going to stop for a minute. And oftentimes my older daughter will be, oh, do you want to pick up a geocache? A lot of times, especially when they were, you know, involved, like, you know, getting out in nature and hiking and all, I will drag them along with me and we'll go on these lovely walks together and we'll talk about stuff and look at things and nature and the green and all that good stuff. And then we'll find the thing and we'll walk back. And I happen to be especially lucky because my younger daughter is a master climber. And these things are often hidden in trees. I'm not a climbing person. If you were in my presence for like, you know, more than a minute, you will know that I have never climbed a tree in my life without a ladder. Fun fact, I do now keep a ladder in my trunk, but that's a completely different discussion. So this this hobby allows you to collect some fairly eclectic gear. You know, you keep a 
ladder in your trunk and you've got fun apps on your phone. And I imagine you have a, a, a complement of equipment that you take with you on these trips. And it gives you the ability to employ your children, you know, in, you know, potentially semi-dangerous situations. I, this seems like a win-win-win to me. I look forward to the day when she can like, you know, when I can be like somewhere in the middle of the forest and there's some crazy thing like 40 feet up that requires climbing gear and she'll look up at it and go, let me take a shot at it see what I can do. So you mentioned knowing a, a good number of cachers and I, I'm assuming that there are events for uh, folks who enjoy this particular hobby, but um, have you found a community around this hobby? Oh, yes. In fact, a very specific type of geocache is an event where somebody basically, you know, hosts an event and you know, says, hey, we're going to be at this place. And of course, it's marked out by coordinates. And we're going to be here from this time to this time. And we'll, you know, and people will get together and talk about stuff and enjoy each other's company and trade tips and trade information and, and all that good stuff. So, yes, there is very much a community. In fact, one of the reasons why there are so many caches in this particular area is because not only is there a large community, but there's also a lot of hiding, a lot of people who love hiding. In ham radio, we have this thing called summits on the air, and that's when someone will take a radio up to the top of a mountain or a tall hill or whatever, and uh, you know, broadcast basically, "Hey, can anybody hear me?" You you need the uh, the people who are up in the mountains, and you also need the people that are on the ground to make that work. And I imagine with the geocaching, that's kind of the same deal, right? Like you only have as many things to to find as there are people that will hide them. So that's a huge part of it. If nobody hides nobody can find. I think about the other conversations we've had about hobbies, right? And I'll bet most hobbies, there there is this give and take component to it. I'm thinking about when I started getting into trains, right? Uh, you could be all about the trains, but if you don't have any tracks to run them on, there's no nobody building up the scenery or anything. It's a poor experience. You obviously need somebody on the other end of your ham radio connections, it's a really good reminder, right, that any hobby we're doing, even if we think of it as kind of a, a solitary pastime, like it's still requiring contributions from other people to make it go. I could not go to all these counties if random people who I didn't know weren't doing this. With the, the pandemic and all of the, the last year that we've had uh, where things have sort of shifted rather radically, has that changed the way you your hobby works or the way you enjoy it? Or ha what has the impact been there, if there is any? There's been a little bit of an impact. There has been an influx of new cashers lately because a lot of people are wondering, hey, what's something that I can do that gets out of the house and is socially distanced and interesting to do. Oh, let's try this geocaching thing. So that that has helped a lot. I finished Texas and the Texas County Challenge right before the pandemic hit. And for a while, I, you know, just yeah, I I locked down in Austin. When the quarantine, you know, rules lifted, when I'm out there on the road, I'm literally in a fast-moving contained bubble. I don't have any contact with people. I literally can go days on the road without seeing another person outside of their car or whatever. Even when I go to courthouses, it's usually on weekends, so it's not like anybody's there. 
Michael and I have talked about our hobbies in the past, and and you know he's he's been into the train scene, and I myself, as you know, am a ham radio operator, and I have to ask, which one do you feel is nerdier, geocaching or ham radio? I am going to go out on a limb and say ham radio, not because I feel geocaching has any sort of special. I don't know, coolness to it or anything. I mean, I've met some cool people who do it. I've also met some giant nerds, my, myself being among them. But I think you get a lot of people who are into hiking and camping and just outdoorsy type stuff. I think you get some people who are into more adventurous stuff like you know, rock climbing or mountain climbing to get to crazy places or people who are into boating or stuff like that. I have trouble imagining this from other people who do ham radio. I'm sure there are some, don't get me wrong, because you just talked about, you know, climbing up to the top of a mountain to try to contact other people. But most of this ham radio thing sounds like something that's going to be done in your garage. Well, Marcellus, thank you very much for talking with us. Uh, geocaching sounds fantastic. If people want to go check out your blog, where would they go do that? That would be www.geocachingwhileblack.com. It's spelled pretty much the exact same way you would think it would be spelled. Awesome. Thank you very much. Well, no, thank you. Thanks again to Marcellus for joining us in this episode. We'd like to hear your stories of geocaching, ham radio, uh, REI, shopping trips, and other hobby pursuits. Give us a call on the dad line. The number is plus one four one two six eight four dads. That's area code four one two six eight four three two three seven. Operators are not standing by because they are hanging out in their man caves, woman caves, and other caves. Um, but you can go ahead and leave us a message, and we'll pick it up. And please remember to subscribe to Dadline wherever it is you get your podcast. Remember, every time someone subscribes, a small child shakes a pill bottle out of a tree. <laughs>